Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, everybody. My name is Mark, and we have our awesome guest host with us today, Rochelle Summers. That's me. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> studio audience is loving that and we also have cheryl fletcher with us woo, woo. cheryl welcome so good back to be with you guys so fun yes. love it it's been a while since you've been on here i know phil's yeah. been uh preaching preaching he so has been i've been i i got an email from somebody if you're listening i totally loved your email thank you for your encouragement but i did giggle a little bit because and I don't know that this was even the intent. It's probably my own broken place, how I read it. But they asked what I've been doing. Oh, they asked actually if I was still at Menlo, which I get that. <laughs> I get that. Uh, and they and they wanted to know what I was doing, you know. And again, they were probably just like, how are you, whatever. And I'm reading it a little bit as, um, you know, when you're not preaching, like that kind of the idea, like mm. I feel like some people have this, idea that if you're a pastor and you preach mm-hmm. what do you do the rest of the week right yes <laughs> yes yes so i was i was giggling about that but again if that person is listening thank you because it was a very encouraging email and i did respond i think i told you that so. yes i've also gotten the question of wait you have pastors that don't preach what do they do oh mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. i feel like that's kind of interesting too to kind of flip that on its head yeah yeah that could be a whole other episode. It could, could be, be an episode of <laughs> I love that. pastoral what? care. Yeah, well, yes. and what Things do pastors like that. do? <laughs> well, speaking of pastoral care, mm-hmm. I have a question. How are we feeling about daylight savings time? Because <sighs> I need some care in this season because I am not loving it. <laughs> oh, really? No. No, I'm still tired. None of my kids wanted to go to bed this last night. None okay. of them wanted to wake up this morning. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with my typical get up. Because yeah. I, I try to get up between 5 and 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I will say that has not happened since the daylight saving time. Although, you know, I had to preach on a morning of daylight saving. That's rough. Yeah. When I usually always get up at 5 a.m. on the morning of preaching. And I I gave myself some grace. But I was pretty prepared. So didn't get up till 6. But I tricked myself that day before. I set all my alarms and all my clocks in the house. Yeah. The you know the stove and the all the things. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went ahead yeah. and set them forward so that I would get to bed earlier. Um, but I just obviously y'all are people of the darkness. I am a person of the light. Oh, okay. Uh, I need it to be light later. Wow. All yes. the things that yeah. just help me. Yeah. Um, so mornings are rough right now, but yes. I'll get there. Yeah. But I love I love it that it's light later. I so. do too. And it, it'll take time to adjust to the morning, but mm-hmm. I do like that it's light mm-hmm. later. We took Loki for a walk yesterday at like seven o'clock. Same and it wasn't so. raining, which yep. was great, but it was just nice that it was still kind of light out. Yeah, I was out with Queso, my golden retriever, and I walked past some of my neighbors and they, you know, know me and know Queso. And they were like, it is a golden retriever party today. Cause, <laughs> and I did. I probably saw 20 golden retrievers. So oh, wow. obviously golden retrievers like it when it's a little later. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, if they like it, then it has to be good. It's got to be good. They're great dogs. They are. Maybe the best. 
They are. Sorry, but I do Loki. like Loki. That's too. okay. That's yeah. okay. Loki's a horse dog. <laughs> yeah, he barely qualifies as a dog. Yeah, he's not even a. What 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 kind of dog is he? He's a Great Dane, Dance Harlequin Great Dane. Okay. Uh, but yes, he's probably the size of a mini horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's probably bigger than most mini horses. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that pastoral care. And if you need care during this time, you could text mm. our team too. I'd love to complain about daylight savings time with you as well. And part of being in community, which is what we talked about last week, is yeah. caring for each other. And Cheryl, yes. that was kind of how you started off this message is around community and how we can approach that. So for those that might have missed your message, mm-hmm. could you give us a quick summary and then we'll jump in from there? Yeah. So we're in this series where we're looking at Jesus's last words on the cross and and the last words that we looked at this week were where Jesus looks at his mother and he says, woman, here is your son and um, son, here is your uh, mother. And, you know, it's interesting because that, as I was reading and researching and diving, apparently this is a very popular sermon for Mother's Day. Now, Mm. I have not personally heard it Hmm. preached, at least not in any of my recent memory on a Mother's Day. But the idea being like, it's just this profound look at Jesus who um, is in his full humanity on the cross and he cares for his mother, which is all true. That is all true. Uh, But the language where he refers to her as woman, which Mm -hmm. in the Gospel of John Jesus never calls his mother mother, and he only refers to her twice. So, mm. but he refers to her as woman in John chapter two at the wedding, yes. uh, and then he refers to her as woman on the cross. And then, of course, there's a number of other instances, not just in the Gospel of John, but you know where people come. I think it's in Luke or Matthew where where people come and say, "Hey, your mother and brother and sisters are outside," and Jesus looks at the gathering with him and says who is my mother and my brother and my sister? You are, if you obey me, which is, if you follow me, if you're with me, you are my brother and sister and mother. And I was going to use that verse, but it got dropped. Uh, so uh, the idea that especially, well, in all the gospels, but Jesus is creating and building a new community. And mm-hmm. so the idea that he references his mother and the Gospel of John from chapter two, and then there on the cross. And chapter two is one of the seven signs in the Gospel of John where Jesus turns the water to wine. Uh, so there are those who might suggest kind of a bookend mm-hmm. of Jesus beginning to create that new community um, as he um, shows his first sign of turning water to wine. And then on the cross, he is establishing again a new community where now John, likely John, the disciple John, is the one, the disciple that he points to when he says, disciple, here is your mother. And there's been a lot of arguments about why didn't Jesus's brothers, who would typically in that culture for sure be the ones called to take care of the mother. Mm -hmm. And again, the idea that, well, but this is a new family, a new community, and it's based around uh, belief and followership Mm -hmm. of Jesus. And at that point, we know in history that Jesus's um, brothers, which would include James, did not believe in Jesus as Messiah, as the Christ, until after his resurrection, Mm -hmm. which was why the resurrection is so powerful. So, 
Yeah. There's a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton in there. That's a lot. I do love the idea of the book ends, the beginning Mm -hmm. and the end of recognizing the beginning of Jesus's Mm -hmm. miracles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not the end of his miracles, but the last sign. Uh, Yeah. That's beautiful. I've never heard of that or thought of that before. Yeah, gosh, there were so much. If I had forty minutes, Menlo uh, <laughs> to preach, it's a common we theme we're hearing from our teachers. We could, uh, yeah. we could say so much more. But um, yeah, so the really the trajectory of the um, the sermon was then on what what is this new community, and then staying rooted in the Book of John, uh, which I'm going to do again in a couple weeks. Um, because the last words we're looking at are on, in John, and and I just I think it's always helpful when you're reading the Bible. The first place to start, if you're going to do a word study or you're going to do a trying to understand uh, what what is happening, you start with the book that it's in. And so, John chapter thirteen, uh, we have Jesus really showing that new community who they are to be when he gathers his disciples and he washes their feet. So that was the emphasis of the sermon was on that foot washing moment in mm-hmm. G- with Jesus. And profound because that's the last time they were gathered before the cross because after that event they uh start to scatter. Mm-hmm. And then they aren't gathered back together again until after the resurrection. So Yeah. Yeah. And so part of that comment on community is looking at the context in which we are living in. And Mm -hmm. I thought that it was great that you pointed out us as Westerners Mm -hmm. might look at this differently than maybe someone else that is reading this. And you used this analogy that it's like we're on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was really good (laughs) to just kind of set the context in which Mm -hmm. how we should approach looking at, you know, looking at the scripture, looking at these themes that are throughout it. And it actually made me think of you, Rochelle. Okay. Because I feel like you recently got off of the treadmill Mm -hmm. and had a sweet little time away. Yes. Mm. And so I'm wondering (laughs) if you could talk a little bit about that and if you have any learnings or any takeaways from that, from Mm. that experience of leaving your busyness here as a mom, Mm -hmm. as a student, as someone that works as well, and all the other amazing things that you do. (laughs) And then leaving that, getting some separation, then coming back. Yes. Thank you, Mark, for that question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I did get a chance to go away recently. I went to uh, Montana Mm -hmm. for what could be described as a self-care retreat with an organization called Refuge. Mm -hmm. And they originally started caring for um, pastors. And it's uh, grown and evolved into um, caring for people in leadership roles and are um, people who need rest and respite. And um, I was in a very long season of life, I would say from like November to when I went away two weeks ago um, of perpetual like disappointment, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm. Um, My kids have been sick every other week (laughs) since November. busyness of like the holidays and then starting a new year but not feeling like I did start a new year um and life was just busy and chaotic and I had this really great opportunity to go and I almost didn't get to go but that's a different conversation in itself three times of (laughs) almost having to be canceled right which sometimes when you need rest the most Mm -hmm. it gets it feels really hard to get there and um I, yeah, I was able to separate myself and just be immersed 
in a new place with people I didn't know and um, find rest in new community mm. Mm. and um, just an opportunity to change perspective, right? To be taken out of the situation that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the middle of Montana, I'd never been to Montana before. I didn't know mm. what to expect. And it was- it's gorgeous. It, it's beautiful. And also the elevation changes everything in your body if you're not used to it. But also it's flat. <laughs> so oh, where you were. Where I was, yeah. yes. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, um, I just felt like God used that time to hear other people's stories, mm-hmm. um, to help me gain perspective in my life, and vice versa. We were able to just have really beautiful conversations centered around the messiness of life mm-hmm. and how Jesus is leading us through all of that. Um, you took me off guard to tell me again why you asked me this question. <laughs> I, thank you for sharing. Yes. But it reminded me of you running this race for yes. about two months. And right. I knew that like from conversations with you, like it, it, when I saw, when I heard about a treadmill, I was like, oh, that's a lot of people that I know. Yes. Which I, I think is exactly why you used it, especially mm-hmm. in the context in which we're in. But right. then, so getting off the treadmill from a little bit mm-hmm. and then coming back to yes. now. So then I had, I came off the treadmill. I was able to rest and like do, fun, like have fun. I had mm-hmm. so much fun and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I needed to have like fun in my life. We like, you know, went floating in a river. <laughs> um, we used a hot tub. We went hiking without having to rush back to be back for like school or work or something else. Mm -hmm. And coming back, I was able to feel alive again Mm. in everyday life and full and whole Mm. so that I can invest back in my, in myself and my family and in community here. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes we need that time off the rat race of life or away from the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at how I said it, that, you know, that, I was talking about us as a community and being what the scripture would describe as a family. You know, in the New Mm -hmm. Testament, people refer to one another in the church as brother and sister. And we don't do that as much anymore. That kind of sounds culty and all that kind of thing. (laughs) If you've seen a bad cult movie or something. But uh, I mean, some churches do brother and sister. But this idea of family. And so I had said that this family that Jesus creates uh, calls us to live into our truest identity and purpose, which is to be human with other humans. Mm. And and then mm. I said, not machines on a treadmill to produce, prove, and accumulate. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I do think this is a very Western concept. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've had the privilege of getting to spend significant amounts of time in Asian countries and then also in Africa and um, just other cultures that this is not who they, who they are. They are very familial. They're very, mm-hmm. I said that word right, but you know, they're very focused on family, very focused on community, very focused on those relationships. Yeah. And we'll spend, you know, it's, it can be frustrating to a Westerner to travel in a, in an African country or mm. a um, Asian country when it doesn't seem like they're moving at the speed we want them to move at, you know? And again, that can depend on the different countries Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you've been to, you know, the Pacific Islander country or Mm -hmm. which I've gotten to do as well and be a part of those, uh, you know, not just as a tourist, but really being in people's homes and in relationship with folks in those countries, just very different than our Western treadmill. Absolutely. I think 
in my most recent trip to Montana and then in a trip last summer to Oregon, I realized the value of radical hospitality mm. and generosity of spirit mm. and how that has so much more meaning to life. And that's what Jesus taught us to do than just accumulating or working hard to get the next best thing or working hard to, mm -hmm. I mean, people have to work, right? You have to pay your bills. Yeah. Yep. But it's just about what's our perspective and what's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting too that when we have, when we're thinking about community, yes, it can be radical hospitality and people that we like and want to be around. But you also used, I thought, a brilliant quote from a theologian named Fleming Rutledge. Fleming she Rutledge. is yes. often quoted in our Lent devotional. Yes. So if you're doing our Lent devotional, most of that was taken from, she's one of my favorites. And uh, her, yeah, anyway, yes. Yes. I quoted her. Um, and that Fleming quote Rutledge. read something along the lines of that, when we do this thing correctly, when we follow Jesus mm -hmm. correctly, then that means people are brought together. Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. yep. I thought that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge part about um, getting off of this treadmill, yeah. taking time to realize we're not what we do, we're not what we produce, but right. we're here to be around and in community and serve others around us. And so I love that, that you included that, Cheryl. Yeah. She says, this was on Monday of last week of our mm -hmm. devotional. She says that when, you know, basically when the church is what the church is supposed to be or, you know, mm -hmm. in Jesus's heart and mind. And when you see in the life of Jesus, uh, it's people brought together who have absolutely nothing in common, mm -hmm. uh, who may have diametrically different views on things, mm -hmm. who may even actively dislike each other. Mm -hmm. And again, in the, in the Western church, we are so tempted to build, there's even church planting models around this, that you would build your church around um, sameness rather than mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. And and I understand some of this. I think if you're going to be local, if you're going to be in your community, uh, it should, it to me, it should look like your community. Uh, but typically that community, any community in, anywhere in the world is messy, right? Uh, in that community, you have people who have definitely strongly opposing different opinions about things and that. So that, that's what I love about that, that challenge. So, well, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. You quoted Philippians, mm -hmm. which starts with in your relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ. Mm -hmm. So how do we have the same mindset of Christ in community with one another while breaking what you said is radical individual individualism mm -hmm. while also appreciating diversity of thought and diversity of culture and having the same mindset of Christ. Like how do we have the same mindset, break away from individualism and also diversity? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, a fantastic question. Um, I think I took the radical individualism line from David Brooks, who is a New York Times columnist who wrote mm. a book called The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life, something like that. Um, and I would recommend David Brooks' book, even if you don't read the first part of it. Mm. <laughs> the last section is on, he has a whole section on marriage. I think he has this section on, uh, anyways, it, it's, it's a great book. It's a great read. It's thought provoking. But the last section is on community. Mm -hmm. And so he he talks a lot about 
our radical individualism in the West, but he also speaks to bridging that gap of diversity and staying. And and I don't know that he says this. This is my take. Um, I don't think you can uh, break radical individualism uh, and live in diversity and love as defined by Jesus, which again, his community in the, in the early church was a very a huge melting pot mm-hmm. of diversity of, you know, you have the Gentiles who are now brought into the Jewish community. And, and for a while there, there was the sense that they were just, you know, the Messiah had come. So now the Jewish community would be reformed. Well, that wasn't really how it all went down. And so you have these, the Gentiles being grafted in with the with the Jewish community and all the all that came up with that, Jesus had a radical understanding of women, and women were were fully engaged in mm-hmm. his ministry from when he, you know, we know in one of the gospels it tells us that that it was actually women who were his supporters and financial supporters. You know, yeah. I had somebody the other day say something about, well, back in those days, women didn't have jobs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, some of these women did, that, and that's a whole nother wormhole of conversation, but there was this diversity. So the three things that come to mind for me to your question, Rochelle, when I think about how do we, how do we break our radical individualism, embrace diversity? And what I think we sometimes can think of is then I, my, my approach to diversity is to get that diverse person to be like me. Mm-hmm. We're so radically individual. Mm-hmm. We don't even, we don't even know that we're doing it. Right. But three things that I think we have to have. We have to be proximate. We have to have relationship with people who think differently than us, yeah. who uh, might come from a different culture than ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's harder if you live in certain parts of the country. And that's okay. Right. It, don't, don't, don't go pretend stuff. Yeah. Right? But if you haven't, like if you are in a pretty, you know, homogenous community, mm-hmm. You don't. You don't have to like drive a hundred miles. Just just get proximate to somebody who thinks differently than you. Right. They're in the same not homogenous world as you, but they think differently or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think you got to get proximate. We in the Bay Area, we have the privilege that we really do have diversity. And you know, a friend of mine sent me an email after the sermon, real encouraging. He's of Indian descent, and he said, you know, I love what you said. You know, as as an Indian, I uh, we love family. Family is highly important. Yeah. So again, he's not coming from that Western mindset. I need I need that person's thoughts, right? So get proximate. Mm-hmm. Um, be curious mm-hmm. and be gracious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the goal in having diverse relationship, I think. What we again, we have we have put our radical individualism even on how we understand diversity, uh, racial justice, um, gender justice, all those things. We, uh, you know, sexual identity, all those things. We have approached that as if we're still approaching it with. At the end of the day, we've won if we all think the same talk the same, answer the same, and believe the same. Right. Mm. That is not love. Yeah. 
that is manipulation mm-hmm. or it's abdication where I either need to manipulate you to think how I think. Right. Or I have to abdicate to what you think, and I have to maybe give up some of my convictions and beliefs mm-hmm. for us to have relationship. Yeah. And this is the, the church is being destroyed by this. Yeah. Because I either need to abdicate and give up a belief that I, and a conviction that I might hold to, that I have personally come to through what I believe as I read and understand and study the scripture to be true. But I'm in relationship with maybe you and you come to a different conclusion through that scripture. Now, ultimately, there is truth. We know that. But if my only way of having relationship with you is to either get you to believe what I believe Mm -hmm. or I abdicate to what you believe without any thoughtfulness, without any sense of my own conviction, we're not in relationship. Yeah. I might add compassionate curiosity. Yeah. Having compassionate curiosity because. And I think that's what I was saying with grace. Totally. Graciousness. Right. Mm -hmm. We, we have to, we, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, if we're a follower of Jesus, our foundation is grace. Yes. The gospel is grace. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we can throw in a hundred words, but yes, when I think of compassion, compassion that doesn't, is not informed by the gospel is performance. Oof. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we have a world right now that our engagement with, with justice, mercy, reconciliation, I would suggest, and I'm go ahead and send the emails to Mark. Sure. Um, <laughs> no, you can send them to me. I would suggest that the church has become more performative than it actually has become a change agent that it was created to be Mm -hmm. because bless us. And I'm, I am guilty of all of this. An Instagram post is sweet, but it doesn't change the world. Right. Being proximate, being compassionately curious. If we want to say it that way, Uh, we can, we can, (laughs) I I mean, I, at the end of the day, just get curious how you do get it, get it. Yeah. But I mean, be kind uh, for sure. But, but again, just get in there. And here's the thing. If you have a friend who's getting curious with you and they're not compassionate, be gracious. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. Don't set, we have so many rules for people of how they have to engage that uh, we're, our rules are only creating walls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you want somebody, me as a female, I want you to understand what it's like to be a woman in ministry. Yeah. I've been one for almost 40 years. Right. Um, I want you to understand my journey in the church. I want you to know that. And here's the, or what it's like to be a woman in whatever space, right? That's just my space. But here's the challenge to me. And I've been guilty of this. When somebody doesn't ask the question right, I shut down. Mm-hmm. When somebody begins with an assumption, I get defensive. 
And there's a great book, and I don't remember the author, Inoffendable, Unoffendable, Unoffendable. Hmm. It's uh, by a Christian author. Uh, and I read it a number of years ago, so uh, don't ask me to quote it. But, but it, was very, it was very helpful. Um, and it's, it's the challenge to myself that if I want to actually enter into conversations and be a change agent in the areas of justice, mercy, and all those things, gender, equity, all that, I cannot enter into that if I demand you to come on that journey with me in a certain way. Right. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. And I have to, I have to get to a space of, of gospel engagement, which gospel engagement will not be performative. It will not demand from you how you have to show up for me. It will live and engage from a place of grace. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that is really hard when you're the person who has experienced a certain amount of woundedness or a certain amount of pain because of ethnicity, gender. Um, and when I say ethnicity, I include in this, you're white and you've been wounded you, because of being white in a particular context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are, and, you know, and then we can name a number, you know, African-American, you, black, you can, you can say Hispanic, Latino, all that. Now, see, again, I'm probably saying words wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's the person who says, well, I can't even engage with you because you're not saying this right. Mm-hmm. And here's what I need. I need your grace. Right. Because I'm trying to get proximate. I'm trying to be curious. Right. I'm trying to live in the gospel of grace, which tells me that I can love you and I can engage with you and I can encourage you and I can be received from you as well. But I'm putting down judgment, Romans chapter 2. I'm putting down my rules of engagement. Because it's more important to me to be proximate to you than to get it all right. Mm-hmm. And I can't get proximate if I have to get it all right. I just can't. Right. I'm afraid. Now you've put me in a place of fear and defensiveness. So. Wow. yeah uh i you touched on it but like seeking and being curious and also not being defensive ourselves Mm -hmm. i think that's hard sometimes because when people if we're coming in from a wounded place and people start asking us questions we could put our guard up so quickly so quickly um but yeah we have to try to believe the best right yeah, yeah, no, and, and it is. It I think that's the really the hardest thing is, um, and this is what's so beautiful about the, the Philippians two passage, right? Mm-hmm. Where it takes us is ultimately we see two things in that passage. We see Jesus's humanity and the fact that Jesus did re- not regard his equality with God something to be grasped. Which there's a thousand theological books written on that statement, but. Um, I think simplest, simply, Jesus, in his, he did not call on his divinity. That's why the cross is so profound. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, Jesus went to the cross. He was okay because he was God. Mm. 
I believe, personally, my theological belief in this is that Jesus fully experienced the cross fully as in his humanity. Mm-hmm. Jesus relied in his humanity because he had to live a perfect life. Uh, it wasn't just a perfect death for his sacrifice for our salvation. It was a perfect, it was a perfect life, right? And so he needed to be the perfect lamb, the mm-hmm. perfect sacrifice. And so to do that, that's why the temptation passage is so significant, is that he had to face that temptation in his humanity. Mm-hmm. If he had faced the temptation in his divinity, it would not be what we needed as a substitute on the cross, right? right. So I think what's so profound in the Philippians 2 passage is that we know that Jesus only relied on the same resources you and I have. Mm-hmm. He relied on the word of God, which you see constantly. Uh, he quoted scripture constantly. He relied on his relationship with the Father and his relationship with the Spirit. And he relied on community. Uh, he, he pulled his community together. He didn't just come and, as an individual uh, proclaiming uh, his messiahship and uh, the glory of God and the kingdom of God, right? So you see that. And then, obviously, you see humility. That's mm-hmm. the emphasis of that Philippians 2, which is that section is a poem and, or a song that would have been sung. Um, and and there, there is just no engagement. And the church and those of us in the church, and again, me, Cheryl Fletcher, I can be incredibly arrogant about how I think the church should be done. I've been doing it for 30 some years. I got opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Opinions are wonderful. Again, you don't abdicate. Mm-hmm. You can hold your opinion, but you can also let go of knowing that's a personal preference. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion, right? Now, again, we fight for the things that are of great significance, for sure. The divinity and the humanity of Christ, the salvation by grace alone, by faith. You know, there are certain things we hold to, but, but even how we hold it, we hold it with humility. Mm-hmm. We hold it with humility. Um, I, I, bringing it back to the diversity conversation, um, what I see is a lot of, a lot of arrogance. And until the church can do it the way I want the church to do it, I will have nothing to do with the church. Mm. Okay. And then I see people will until you do it the way I want you to do it. I don't want you to have anything to do with the church. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to be a part of the church that doesn't have everybody in it who gets it all right. Yeah. Or does it the way we do it. Yeah. And I don't, I have ne- I've worked for three churches. I've been a part of more churches than that, but I've worked for th- three churches now, which combines to almost 30 years. And I've, every church I've worked at has never had a, never gotten it perfect. Yeah. Uh, has never uh, had a community of people who all get it right. And here's the thing. When I say all of that, I'm defining my perfection and getting it right from me. Mm. I want you to do it like I would do it. Right. I want you to think like I would think. I want you to handle that how I would handle that. And, uh, and I've hurt some people because of my desire to control something mm. and my desire for people to say it and do it the way I want them to say it and do it. So um, it's not worth it. It's not the way of Jesus. 
again, somebody out there is going to hear this is with, you know, diminishing truth. And you need to know I am like radically like strong on truth. I'm way more conservative than my liberal friends. And I'm probably a little more liberal than my hyper conservative friends. I'm, but, but I'm not in the middle. Mm. I'm not in the middle. I'm, I'm more, I'm pretty conservative. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I have, I feel like God has shown me and, and keeps inviting me to have relationships with people who are different from me because they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I need them to have to think like I think, I will manipulate them. Mm -hmm. And if I think I have to think like they think, I will abdicate and they will smell that. I've never had a conversation with a person who disagrees with me theologically um, or biblically about a certain particular topic um, who didn't mostly just want me to love them and be their friend mm-hmm. more than they needed me to abdicate my views. And you said that in your message about having a sign that says, I just want to be appreciated. I just want to be appreciated. I, re- I saw that on something on, I, I don't know, you know, and, and I thought that is so good. I think we all want yeah. to be seen and known and, mm-hmm. and loved and mm-hmm. appreciated, mm-hmm. you know, as image bearers of Christ and, or just as people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and as a believer, as someone who follows God, mm-hmm. we are to see each person as bearing the image of God, Absolutely, whatever their political views, whatever their um, views on, you know, oat milk or almond milk, we're, we're supposed to love everybody because they bear the image of God and, um, like you said, have compassionate curiosity and grace. And, um, you know, I- identity is, is difficult, but if we can have our identity be seen and known in Christ, then everything else will kind of work out okay, right? Um, yeah. I, I and- mean, I think the profound thing of um, Wilberforce in England Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in the United States, actually MLK, one of his most profound books, a little book called The Imago Dei, and mm-hmm. it's on the image of God, right? Yeah. Uh, that the, the foundation for their understanding of justice was what you're saying. It's, it's, uh, it, it was built on the image of God, Genesis chapter one, right? And that's how, and I think that's what's actually being uh, presented in Romans one and two. Now Romans people like don't want to talk about Romans one because they they don't get to Romans two and the the first uh, you know the scripture wasn't written with chapter titles or verses. So uh, and I think that's the idea. What that again Paul is holding to doctrinal truth and I hold to it with him, but then he's talking about how we live that out and we live that out without without judgment chapter two uh we live that out with an understanding of the imago day that has been broken in all of us but we still honor and esteem the image of god no matter how broken and there's nobody and that's the end of romans one and the going into chapter two is um that you know who is without sin, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is who is without this brokenness? Who is without um, a a condition of sin that's caused chaos? Mm-hmm. And so we we honor the image of God in every hu- every every human, whether every human 
a person in a coma is value to us because the image of God is not performative. It's not because they're productive to society. Mm-hmm. It's because of whose image they are created in. Right, right. And who created them, right? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we could, now we're down a wormhole. But anyway, it's good stuff. There's so much good stuff in there. <laughs> I, I ended up just like, taking notes on everything that I'm going to that revisit later. That was like a later. sermon in itself. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was. And we're coming close to our end of our Sorry. time together now, but Cheryl, community, I'm sure mm-hmm. we could keep on going for another two hours, <laughs> no. four hours, mm-hmm. or the rest of our lives probably. Is there anything else you'd like to include mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of take us home yeah. and have people think about this as they're going about their week? You know, I, I mean, yeah, there are so many things that I didn't get to preach in that sermon about uh, the the covenant relationship that God has established from really from Genesis all the way through Revelation, um, I I just think I, I I so appreciate y'all's questions and Rochelle, thank you for getting us thinking about these things. I I think that if we can live out of the wholeness given to us in the gospel that is a gospel of grace, that is a God who pursues us first. You know, one of the uniquenesses of Reformed theology, and we're Presbyterians here at Menlo Church, what's what's most important to a Reformed person, and I'm like crazy Reformed probably, (laughs) more Reformed than some people might want me to be, but but here's here's why. Because to me, what is at the heart of Reformed theology is the order, is the order of, that matters. So there are some theological systems which of really smart people, way smarter than me, who would hold to that salvation comes by faith that then is followed by the regeneration of God. I put my faith in Jesus, and now he regenerates me, which is salvation. He changes me because I made that decision. Mm -hmm. Now, reform theology, the order is different. The order is, I believe God regenerates me. He Mm -hmm. saves me so that I can have faith. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So again, controversial. Uh, not everyone holds to this. Smarter people than me don't hold to this. Great theologians don't hold to this. Uh, but it is the stream I swim in, and I. this is why I think it matters. If I believe there is anything that is required of me to bring about God's salvation in my life, me comes first. And so in Reformed theology, and this is why it's funny to me that sometimes Reformed people can be so arrogant and prideful, and I've been one of them too, and I can be these things, but is what we believe is that first comes the regenerating work of God fully grounded upon grace. There's Deuteronomy, I think it's six or eight, you know, there's He didn't pick you because of anything you had done or how smart you were or how strong you were or any of those things. Mm -hmm. He he picks us, he chooses us because of him. Mm. And so now I'm just living out of this like, why me, why me, why me? Mm. God, why me? So why would you pick me? Mm -hmm. Thank you for picking me which then needs to get extended into my relationships with people 
because every person I meet is a person who God wants, you know, can pursue. God can choose. God can pick. God can do a great work in their life. Now, I know people are now getting upset because, well, you know, we got the predestination conversation and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that's another wormhole, so I won't go there. But I will just say this. Either of those positions have problems with it. Either of those positions, if it's I first comes my faith, so God will now save me and change me, or what I believe, first comes God's regenerative work and changing me so that I can have faith, I get it. There are really big problems on both sides of that. I just believe and I, you know, and, and I think the beauty of my position, if you will, uh, the position I hold uh, is that grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Mm-hmm. So every relationship we have and, and also the power of God, I don't have to, it is not up to me to change a person. I can show up, I can pray. I can cooperate, as the scripture talks, with God and the work of Jesus and be on mission with him, but uh, I can hold, hold anybody in my sphere of, of relationship uh, with him and let him step in and do a work. And I personally believe grace changes us more than um, rules and laws and performance mm-hmm. that's um yeah um can i close sure. uh, or come close to it if yes, that's all right yeah um you just go. thinking of uh diversity inclusion and proximity mm-hmm. i am part of the mountain view campus mm-hmm. um i love mountain view mm-hmm. good people there and uh we host something once a month on mm-hmm. the third saturday of every month which will be this saturday march 18th um, at Mountain View called Minds of All Kinds Game Night. And it is an opportunity for adults who are neurodiverse mm. um, uh, to come and enjoy some board games. And it is my favorite Saturday of the month. Uh, we play Rummy Cube. We play uh, Catan for those who like that. Um, Monopoly, all kinds of games. And it is an opportunity for exactly that. Proximity, grace, and love, and mm. understanding. And seeing the image of God mm. in people who are different from you. Mm. So if that is you and you're looking for community, we would love to have you. Um, I don't know if we could put that on the website somewhere or mm-hmm. share a link in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you would like an opportunity to meet people different than you. If you want to just come and play a game, it is so much fun. Um, we would love to have you. I love that. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you both for being on here. I had a wonderful time just sitting back and listening, which I'm hoping that as listeners are engaging in this too, that they can pull out a line or two or a big conceptual idea or just say, hey, that might be way too deep. I just need to know (laughs) who Jesus is and start from there. And that's the heart of all this is it comes first from a relationship with Jesus and then outwardly through that. So thank you for that reminder. Have a great week, everyone. If you need anything, text us 650-600-0402 and we will see you soon and hopefully at Run for Hope as well. Sign up with our online team. That's coming up. Start running. I got my t-shirt. All right. Bye, everybody.